Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Well, there is possibly uh, nothing in Christendom that draws more intrigue and debate than the topic of end times. Uh, If you turn on the TV this afternoon and you have cable and you flip through the religious stations, there's a decent chance that you will find some guy with a big chart trying to explain to you how Jesus is coming back and when Jesus is coming back and why he's so certain of it. Uh, Several years ago, there was a book series called Left Behind. You probably remember it, but it was wildly popular, uh, so much so that many of the 16 books made the number one bestseller on New York Times. And I think even at one point, three of the books took up the first three spots in the New York Times bestseller. Even today, uh, there's many times I hear people say, oh man, the world's getting so bad. Jesus must be coming back soon. Even in the 80s, outside of the Christian realm, Uh, R.E.M., sing a song about it. You probably remember that song. Uh, It's a song that you try to sing along to, but it goes too fast until you get to the chorus, and then everyone goes in and says, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. You know that song, right? Even with my bad singing, you can still recognize it. Well, yesterday was not the end of the world. The day before was not the end of the world. But today could be the end of the world. Do you feel fine? Should you feel fine? Are you ready for Jesus' return? That's what we're going to look at in today's passage. If you would, please open up to Mark chapter 13. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there should be a red one in the seat in front of you, and it is page 850 in the Red Bible. We're actually going to start by looking at verses 1 through 4, which Pastor Caitlin Spencer preached on last week, just to give us a little bit of, of, of a summary. So if you remember, this takes place just a few days before Christ goes to the cross and is crucified, and Jesus is coming out of the temple with his apostles And that's where we launch into this story. So chapter 13 is really one unit broken into two sermons. So I want to make sure we get the flow of it. So look at verses 1 through 4 with me of chapter 13. It says, And as Jesus came out of the temple, uh, which Pastor Kalen told us last week was like 12 12 times the size of Lambeau Field, which is just spectacular, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. This was a big deal. It was a huge structure, and it was the center of religious life for the Jews. Verse 3, and as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple where they could take in all of its beauty, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things B, that is, when will the temple be destroyed? And what will be the signs when all these things are about to be 
accomplish. And so, again, right away, the focus is on the temple and the destruction of the temple. But Jesus moves on to a later destruction that is to come. So I kind of want to map out the flow of Mark chapter 13 for you. It's there in your bulletins. It's also up here in the screen. But in the first 23 verses of Mark 13, it's focused on the destruction of the temple. The first four verses that we just read, Jesus is prophesying about the destruction of that temple. Uh, He says, no stone will be left on on another. And indeed, it comes true in 70 AD when the Romans come in and destroy this humongous temple. Then verses 5 through 13, Jesus gives signs and encourages faithfulness uh, until the temple is destroyed. He says that there will be persecution, that there will be famine, uh, that there will be wars, there will be rumors of war, and all these are signs that this destruction of the temple is going to take place. And so he says, be on guard, be faithful, stay vigilant in the faith. There is going to be suffering for Christians, but God is still in control, and it's still in control. And then the the third part of that is that Jesus shares how to respond in the day of temple destruction. So in 70 AD, when the Romans come in and they destroy the temple, Jesus says, when that day comes, flee to the mountains. Don't look back. Run for your lives. And once again, don't believe anyone who is claiming to be the Christ. So verses 1 through 23, Jesus is focused on this awful destruction of the temple. But then it is just a foreshadow, as we will see, to a greater destruction that is to come when Christ returns. And so from verses 24 through 37, Jesus looks forward to the destruction of the world. Now, in full transparency, I think any Bible scholar would say, yes, you know, this is talking about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, also talking about the destruction of the world when Christ returns. But there may be some disagreement on what verses uh, point to which event as far as the destruction of the temple or Christ's return. I think it's pretty clear that there is a break in verse 24 through 37 that focuses on the end of the world when Christ returns. And so I'll show that to you today as we go through this passage. But that's kind of the flow of Mark chapter 13 that we need to have in mind. And we're going to focus on that second part about Christ's second coming. So let's look together, verses 24 through 27. Uh, We'll read this part of the passage, and then we'll, we'll continue in it later in the sermon. So if you would, keep your Bibles open. So this is Mark 13, verse 24. Jesus is speaking. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the son of man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And when he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Let's pray. Lord God, We thank you so much for this passage today. I confess that there are many times I do not have my mind set upon your return. Uh, It's not something that I think about as much as I should. I don't live in the shadow of this glory as much as I could. And so God, pray for me and anyone here like me who needs to be reminded that you're coming again, that you would remind us uh, with great power today and that you would keep it as something that we are thinking about and longing for every day of our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 
As was pointed out last week, Mark 13 is the longest sermon from Jesus that we find in the gospel of Mark. Furthermore, it's kind of some of his final words. And so this is something very important that Jesus wants his people to know about. And he gives some very clear commands in this chapter. Uh, Three times in the chapter, he says, be on guard. That is, be on guard against false teachers. Be on guard against abandoning the faith. Be on guard against thinking that to be a Christian is easy, that there will be no persecution, because it will be coming. He says, be on guard. But then in today's passage, four times, Jesus says, stay awake. Stay awake. Not, not physically, that would be impossible to do, but stay awake spiritually, which means stay vigilant. Keep watch. Be faithful. And so the application is fairly obvious, even to the disciples who often seem confused. Jesus is saying, stay awake, because he's coming again. And so what does it look like to stay awake? Why should we stay awake? Well, there are three reasons Jesus gives in this sermon. The first is that we should stay awake because Jesus will return magnificently. Look at verse 24 with me again, just the beginning of it. It says, but in those days. And this is a very important phrase. Uh, The word but signals a transition. Uh, It's something that's similar to what he was talking about, but transitioning to something new. So when I'm in Missouri, uh, I grew up in Missouri, I could say, yeah, we have these things called water fountains. They're great. But in Wisconsin, they call them bubblers, right? So it's similar, but something different. And so Jesus here is transitioning. And I think there's very little controversy that these verses are talking about Christ's Uh, second coming, he's transitioning to another apocalypse of sort that is coming in the future. And so he says, but in those days, which one more thing, that was a common phrase used in the Old Testament to talk about uh, the end times, okay? In those days, verse 24, but in those days after the tribulation referring to earthquakes and famine and persecution of Christians and also destruction of the temple, The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens, talking about the sun and the planets and the stars, will be shaken. In other words, what he's saying is it is going to go completely dark in the entire universe. And then verse 26, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power, and glory. This term, son of man, is a term that was Jesus' favorite way of referring to himself as the son of man, and it comes from the book of Daniel, which prophesies about that final day where God will completely establish his rule and reign, and that he will uh, cast Satan into a fire. And then Daniel says this, and it should be up on the screen as well. He says, I saw in the night visions... And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. There's the phrase. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom on one that shall not be destroyed. And so regarding verse 26 of Mark 13, Jesus is saying, Daniel 7, that glorious day where God completely takes over the universe, is coming 
upon his return. And then again, verse 26, it says, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. This, this word clouds, it's interesting. I mean, it means the word clouds. It's nothing sophisticated. But, but I always kind of pictured like, like Jesus would be on a cloud, like an escalator, and just kind of be lowered to earth. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way, or that the clouds would part, and then he'd come through on a cloud doing that or something like that. But this, cl- this cloud actually has more significance. You see, throughout the Old Testament, a cloud was a symbol of God's glory and his brilliance. As a matter of fact, when, when, if you remember, when, when Israel was coming up out of Egypt, they were led by a cloud, and they were defended by a cloud against the Egyptian army as they passed through the Red Sea. In Exodus 16, it says, And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. This happens a lot. I'm going to give you a few instances because I want you to see how predominant this is in the Old Testament. When Moses goes up to the mountain, it says that the mountain was covered in a cloud. Okay, Leviticus 16. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. And then maybe my favorite one, 1 Kings 8.10. And when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. The cloud that is spoken of here is a glory cloud. It is God's Shekinah glory bursting forth. And Jesus says when he returns, he's coming in the glory cloud of God with in power and majesty and brilliance. We read about this at the end of the story in Revelation chapter 21. It says, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And I love this. And it's lamp. It's lamp. It's the lamb the Lord Jesus Christ. Two Fridays ago, my daughter and I, Carissa, got to go on a daddy-daughter date. Hard to say that. One time fast. Uh, We went on a daddy-daughter date to uh, Life Fest, which was awesome. It's a Christian concert festival. It was great. So refreshing to my soul. Encourage it to anyone. But we went down there to see Ben Fuller, who's my favorite artist, and it was fantastic. And then we saw Ann Wilson, who sings, Let Me Tell You About My Jesus, if you know that song. And then the grand finale at the end of the night was Matthew West. But between Ann Wilson and Matthew West, uh, there was quite a bit of time. There was a speaker, there were some announcements, uh, there was uh, different presentations and movies going on. And so by the time it got to Matthew West, it was dark outside, uh, but they still had the lights on. But then as it led up to the concert, and you've probably been to a concert like this, but as it led up to the main show, all the lights went out. Everything was dark, right? And you hear kind of this low anticipatory music and, you know, the other musicians take the stage, right? And there's just kind of this low murmur and people are waiting and everything's dark. And then all of a sudden, boom, the lights come on, right? And the band strikes up and it is glorious and people are screaming in exhilaration. They stole that from Jesus. That's what Jesus says he's going to do. You see, the universe is going to go dark. Jesus is going to come in brilliance in his glory cloud. He's going to say, sun, moon, and stars, you're done. 
I have it. I will take it from here. I will be the light of the universe through my glory. What a majestic and glorious day that will be. And what we learn in this passage is that his saints, those who trust in Christ, we're going to get front row seats to this concert. Look at verse 27. It says, and then Jesus, he will send out the angels and gather his elect, his chosen one, Christians, those who trust in him from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the end of heaven. Jesus is going to send his angels out like, like they are bouncers. Go get these folks. They have backstage passes. They're going to come. They're going to see my glory, not only today, but for all eternity. And so let me ask you, are you ready for Jesus's magnificent return? Have you made peace with the coming king? Have you confessed your sins and trusted in him as your Lord and your Savior? If not, let today be the day that you surrender all to Christ. Because as we will find out, tomorrow is not promised. And so we should stay awake because Jesus will return magnificently. Secondly, Jesus will return expectantly. Look at verse 28 with me, if you would. Jesus says, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. In Palestine, they have a lot of different trees, olive trees, oak trees, evergreens, that do not drop leaves. Uh, you cannot tell what season is simply by looking at the tree. But the fig tree is different. The fig tree is like many of our trees here, like the tree out there where it will drop its leaves in the winter and then regain its leaves when it is approaching summer. No one should appreciate this illustration from Jesus more than us Wisconsinites. Uh, I have said this, you've heard, like Wisconsin, Green Bay was just rated the number one city in America to live, which is true, as I said, nine months of the year, right? It's an amazing place to live nine months of the year. Summer is glorious, right? But then there's like mid-January to mid-April, and it's just like, oh, I'm ready for winter to be over. You know what I'm talking about? You're depressed, it's sad, it's dark, it's cold, and you're like, I'm just, I'm just ready for it to be done. Summer is amazing here. I, I had a friend named Ricky, and he lived in California, and he moved uh, to Green Bay in May. And he said, he said, the people in the Green Bay are the happiest people I've ever seen on the face of the earth. And then he lived through one winter, and he discovered why everybody is so happy in May. Because it's finally summer. It's glorious to be in Wisconsin in the summertime. Jesus is saying, listen, just as you see those trees bud and start to shoot out leaves, and as you anticipate summer and the glory of summer, all of these signs are around you. Earthquakes, famine, right? Wars, rumors of wars, death and destruction. We see all it. The, the destruction of the temple is another sign. It is all telling us that summer is coming, that Christ is returning. So verse 29 says, so also when you see these things take place, talking about these signs, you know that he, the son of man, is near at the very gates, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And by all these things, he's talking about all of the signs. And so he's saying, in this generation, you will see wars, rumors of wars, famine, all of those things, but you will also see the destruction of the temple. Again, an impossible prediction, but you will see it before you die. And indeed, that's exactly 
what happened. In our evangelism class on Wednesday night, there was a participant who doesn't attend our church, and he was saying, you know, why can't God just take away the miserable things in life, right? Like, just, like, just give us the good things and not the miserable things. And I said, you should heard Pastor Kalen Spencer's sermon last week because it was very helpful. And he showed us from those first uh, 20 or so verses that, that bad things happen in this world because of sin, because of brokenness and destruction. And because of all these sad things that are happening in the world, they should make us long for another world. But they're also proof that what Christ says is true, that he's going to return and he's going to make all things new and all things happy in the world again. You see, friends, when you experience earthquakes or tornadoes or an achy back or when you stub your toe or when you look at the war in Ukraine and, and, and things like that, all of these, Jesus says, are labor pains. Just as a woman cannot have a baby without labor pains, so God will not recreate the world without the labor pains of suffering and misery caused by our sin. And so when you are overwhelmed by the sadness and brokenness of this world, let it be a reminder to you that this world is temporary, that this world is not our home, and that you, in fact, were made for another world, a better world, a world that Christ will bring. Now, you may be here, and you may be very skeptical. And I'll be honest, I get skeptical at times, too. How do I know Jesus is coming back? I mean, he said this 2,000 years ago. Maybe it's not really going to happen, either because he doesn't have the power to do it or because he just changed his mind, decided not to come back. It's been a long time. Maybe Jesus isn't coming back. How can I know for certain that Jesus is going to return? Well, I don't give you three quick ways that we know this. The first is that Jesus said he would in verse 31. And that's significant because he also, um, if you look at verse 31, it says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. In other words, my words will outlast the destruction of this world. And so that's one way we know is by him saying it, but who knows, maybe that's just some lunatic talking, right? The second way we know is that Jesus really did prophesy the unthinkable when he prophesied the destruction of the temple. I'm trying to even, I, I can't find something that is, that is synonymous in our old in our own culture. But imagine if I said to you that before some of you pass away, the White House is going to be torn down, so is the Pentagon, so is, you know, all the monuments in Washington. If I told you that was going to happen, that would be startling. But, but the temple was not only like a political, it was religious center. It was, it was massive. It was unthinkable that it would ever be torn down. And yet Jesus prophesied that it would happen before some of those died, and it did. And if he could prophesy that apocalypse, certainly we can trust him for the next apocalypse as well. The third thing is remember that we can, that we can be certain Christ is returning. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall of humanity, there is a promise that is given that God will send a Christ, a Savior, a Messiah to crush the head of Satan. Now certainly, after a couple hundred years, in a couple thousand years, I'm sure there were naysayers saying, he's not coming, it's not going to happen, you know, just forget about it, don't hope in it, don't dream about it, the Messiah's not coming. And then, of course, he did. In Jesus, in his first coming, God fulfills his promises to send his son when he promises to do so. He did so the first time, and he will do it again. Second Peter chapter 3 addresses this skepticism we have of Christ's return. And it says this, it says, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days, 
By last days, that's from Christ's ascension to Christ's return, okay? It's a long time. With scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but impatience towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Friends, the reason why Jesus has not yet returned is not because he's not going to fulfill his promise. The reason Jesus has not yet returned is not because he has changed his mind. The reason why Jesus has not yet returned is because he is merciful. Because he wishes all men to be saved. And so if you are here today and you do not trust in Christ for your salvation, if you've not surrendered everything to Jesus, it is his mercy that he has not yet returned, but he could still come today. And so do not delay on this vanishing opportunity. Trust in Christ, in Christ alone for your salvation. Surrender everything to him. So that on the day of his return, the angels will come and grab you, his elect, his chosen ones, to come and have front row at the majesty of his brilliance of the coming of the king. Stay awake. Christ is coming. He's coming magnificently. He is coming expectantly. He's coming certainly. Finally, stay awake because Jesus will come surprisingly. Look at verse 32 with me. He says, but concerning that day or that hour, which that, that term that day almost, I think it always points to the second coming of Christ. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven. It's top secret. Not the son who's coming back. He doesn't even know. But only the father. Jesus is making it crystal clear that although we know that Christ is coming again, we are not meant to know when Christ is coming again. In fact, Jesus is trying to make this crystal clear. Don't guess when I'm coming back. And yet Christians continue to do so. I remember about a decade ago, there was a guy named Harold Camping who prophesied that Christ would return and judge the world on May 21st, 2011. And there was a billboard on Highway 41 looks something like this. This wasn't the exact one, but there it is. Judgment Day is coming, May 21st, 2011. It says, cry mightily unto God for his mercy, which we should do. We should cry unto God for mercy. Well, of course, May 22nd came and that billboard was still up. <laughs> they didn't think they'd have to take it down, but they did, right? And it was embarrassing to look at a little bit as a Christian, to be honest with you. Um, as a matter of fact, I heard, and I don't know if this is true, but someone said that they replaced that billboard with another billboard that simply said, well, that was embarrassing. It was. It's embarrassing. Why are Christians trying to guess the date that Jesus is coming back when Jesus says, no one knows the day or the hour? If you do a simple Wikipedia search, you will see there have been hundreds of high-profile predictions of Christ's return and Christ's ascension, uh, of Christ's return, even by men like Martin Luther, or Christopher Columbus. And what they all have in common is that they were wrong. You see, the surprising mystery of the time of Christ's return 
is the wisdom of God. Because God knows if he told you the exact day and exact hour of Christ's return, you would indulge in self-destructive sin until the day before Christ returns. Let me give you this example. This is very helpful. I met a a new friend this week, and um, he was in the Vietnam War. And evidently during Vietnam War, there was a huge issue with drugs among the troops. I had no idea of that until just this week. But a lot of a lot of the troops were using drugs. And so um, his job was actually to go and to test uh, the soldiers to see if they had been taking drugs. And so he would wake up in the morning and his, uh, his commander would tell him what troop he was going to go and test. And so he'd hop on a helicopter, he had his own pilot, and they would hear him coming in, you know, the helicopter coming in, he would land, and he would test anywhere from 50 to 200 troops out in the field, Okay. Now, do you think that they announced to these soldiers the day and the hour that this tester was going to come? Of course not. It would be foolish, right? You see, the unknowingness of the day or the hour that this guy was coming to test them held them accountable all the time. I have a friend who used to do drug testing of NFL players, and they all knew, they expected him to come. They just didn't know when because it held them accountable all the time. In the same way, if Jesus had said, hey, I'm coming back in 3,000 years, it would have undermined a motivation for Christians throughout the generations to pursue holiness, to do evangelism, to, to, to keep on guard, to stay awake for Christ's coming. And so Jesus intentionally leaves it a mystery that they would always be ready for his return. That's why in verse 33 it says, be on guard. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. And then Jesus gives the illustration, verse 34. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. And so the picture is of a rich man who has several servants that he's paying for them to do different jobs around the house and around the land, whatever it might be. And he has a doorkeeper. The purpose of the doorkeeper was he was like a security guard. I know we're fairly safe in America, but a lot of countries you have people that stand at the door as a doorkeeper to keep watch for those who might come and try to pillage the household or do worse. And he's saying, imagine if that doorkeeper who's paid to stay watch and to keep watch falls asleep. It's no good. He needs to be awake. He needs to be vigilant. He needs to be attentive. He needs to be ready. Verse 35, therefore, stay awake. Not physically, can't do that, spiritually. For you do not know when the master of the house will come. In the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all. Here it is. Stay awake. Stay awake. Jesus is saying, I could come back at any moment. Be ready. Be on guard. Be vigilant. Stay awake. And so let me ask you, are you spiritually awake? Or are you in a spiritual slumber? You may wonder, how do I know if I'm in a spiritual slumber? I want to give you just four quick signs that you are in a spiritual slumber slumber, okay? The first is this, is that maybe you think to yourself, I want to live life on my terms, and I will get right with God when I get older, right? Or I'll get right with God when I have kids, or I'll get right with God whenever, right? But 
Jesus' point is tomorrow may not come. Don't wait. And so can I please exhort you today, surrender everything to Christ. Believe, repent of your sins. Believe that Jesus took your sin upon himself, died upon the cross for your sins, rose on the third day to give a newness of life today and forevermore. Don't delay. It is a perishing opportunity. Trust in Christ. The second sign of spiritual slumber is that you have become complacent towards your sin. You stop waging war against sin. You stop trying to put sin to death. And that passage in 2 Peter 3 that I read earlier, it continues. And he says this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, right? Thieves don't, if a thief announces when he's coming, he's not a very good thief, right? He's not going to be a thief for very long. Thief comes surprisingly. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Everything will be laid bare for the Lord to see. Verse 11 since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Final few verses. I know we've done a lot of scripture jumping today. Verse 13 and 14. But according to his promise, God's promise, Jesus' promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And then final point, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Let me ask you, how do you want to be found by Jesus when he returns? How do you want to be found? Do you want to be found indulging in your sin? Do you want to be found lazy? Do you want to be found apathetic? Or do you want to be found as one who is striving to grow closer to Christ every day of your life, seeking to, to expand his kingdom in your own heart and in the world? The third sign that you are in spiritual slumber is that you have lost urgency for sharing Christ with others. Again, tomorrow is not promised for anyone. Judgment could come this afternoon. If we know this, if we remember this, we will be urgent to share the good news of Jesus with loved ones, even with strangers. Fourth sign, we are in spiritual slumber, is if we are bitter, angry, disgruntled, and panicked. You see, if you are beyond dismayed at the way that the world is going, if it is crushing to you, could it be because you have forgotten that there is a better world yet to come? Could it be that you have forgotten that you were not made for this world? Could it be that you have forgotten that all these things that happen, all these sad things that happen are pointing us and making us long for the world that Christ is going to bring? You know, I have to tell you, this passage was extremely convicting for me to prepare because I struggle with all of those things. And so I had to confess, Lord, Forgive my spiritual slumber. Help me to be awake. Help me to be attentive. Help me to be vigilant, knowing that at any time you could come again. Let me end with this. Um, Trish and I, when we first got married, we knew we wanted to have kids. Uh, we only debated like how many kids. She wanted like a football team. I'm like, whoa, 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 that's too many. But we really, really wanted to have kids. Um, but we waited a few years for, for different reasons. 
And, uh, and then finally, um, Trish became pregnant. And the first service didn't have pictures. You had pictures. So there's pregnant Trisha. And uh, one of the things I loved about it, side note, is she'd have all these coffee stains right here because she'd set her coffee cup on her belly and she'd laugh and the coffee would spill over. So all her maternity stuff has like a big stain right here. But there, she got pregnant. And man, we were so excited to finally have kids. This is what we were dreaming of for a long time. And so we started to get everything ready. Uh, we actually had a house in Missouri, which is super hot and humid, and we put air conditioning in it because it didn't have air conditioning, and we made a nursery. I think we have a picture of the nursery there. There's the nursery, Corbin's first nursery there. We painted it, made it look nice, and you know, put a crib in there and all that good stuff. And so we were ready for Corbin to come about six weeks before Corbin came. Because even though we expected Corbin to come, we knew that he was coming because of her birth pains, and we knew he would come magnificently through the, through the amazing miracle of human childbirth. Although we knew this was going to happen, we did not know the day or the hour. Only the Lord knew the day or the hour that he would come. And so we would wake up in the mornings and often say to each other, Today could be the day. Today could be the day. Today could be the day that he comes into the world. Today could be the day that all of our dreams come true. Today could be the day that our life is radically and gloriously changed as we bring this child into the world. Today could be the day. And we're so excited, waiting for that day. Friends, stay awake, be vigilant. Be faithful, trust in Christ, because today could be the day. Jesus could come this very afternoon. Today could be the day. He has told us all of the signs that have happened for hundreds of years that we would anticipate that today might be the day. And so I know I am tempted to grow sleepy in my spirituality, and I'm guessing you are as well. And so can I give you one assignment to do? It is a very, very easy assignment, okay? Here is your assignment for the next seven days. When you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror, I want you to remind yourself, today could be the day. Today could be the day that Jesus returns. Next seven days, do that. But also, when you're struggling, when you're tempted by sin, remember, today could be the day. Or if you want to tell someone about Jesus, but you're scared, remember, today could be the day. Friends, stay awake. Be vigilant. Pursue Christ. This may be our last day on this earth. We don't know. Or we could be the early church. We just don't know. But today could be the day. Let's pray. Lord God, we 